So we are actually in week two, so we're in verses 9 to 11. Um, I wanted to reread the verses from last week just to kind of refresh, and then for those who weren't here last week, so you can have a foundation for what we did, and then we will dive into what it is this week. You'll notice that the verses are much shorter. Last week we covered up through verse 8, so we have significantly shorter verses to go through this week. So once we get through going through the slides, we'll work through our workbook a little bit, answer some questions, have some group discussions. And then after our break, I wanted to take some time. It was suggested to me, I can't claim credit for this, that we spend some time getting to know each other because this is the group that you will work through all of the four classes with. And so it's gonna be good for you guys to get to know each other, so share names, just introductions. So we'll have plenty of time for that since this week is shorter verses. And next week, I'm sorry, we're back to a lot of verses. So I'm going to read through again. I'm reading from the NET trans, uh, translation, so the New English translation. So starting in verse 1, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is right for me to think this about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So this is where we're picking up. Basically what Paul does here is... He starts in verse 4 with, I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you. And then he kind of segues a little bit and goes into all of these different things. Participation in the gospel, the process of sanctification we talked about last week, partners with Paul in suffering and spreading of the gospel, loving them like Christ. And then he goes back to this idea of praying and tells us what actually he's saying in his prayers, what actually he's doing. So up until now, he's giving us the reason why he's praying, and he's giving some more information for them, but then he gives the specifics of what he is praying in the next verse, in verse 9. So verse 9 starts with, And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and in every kind of insight. Okay? So in breaking this verse down, we're going to be able to see kind of the relationship here between love and then knowledge and insight, because that's kind of a strange way to say, I want you to love, but I also want you to have knowledge and insight. And so it kind of begs the question, what is the relationship between all of these things and why is he praying for them? And then taking this to that application, what does that mean for us? Do we need to be praying for knowledge and insight? And what does that have to do with the love that we have for our fellow Christians? So I'm going to break it down here. So we have love and knowledge and insight. So this is the Greek phrase here. And it begs the question, what does knowledge and insight have to do with love? What is the relationship? And this is where that grammar piece comes in because we can go to the grammar to see what that relationship is. And it is this word right here. This is the preposition, in. So that is the word that is going to tell us how this all fits together. The first option is that these are just additional, feet, uh, additional virtues that should increase in addition to love. Okay, that is option one, and that is grammatically possible. But what is more likely is that these two, uh, these two characteristics are elements of love that need to increase. And so love can be characterized as knowledge and insight, which for me was even more confusing 
than before because now I'm going, what in the world does love have to do and how are knowledge and insight a subcategory of love? What does that tell us about the way that we're supposed to interact with people? Okay. Well, quickly, these words, these, there's nothing in particular about the word knowledge or the word insight. This really is just like knowledge, so information, learning, but this word here for all insight and discernment, it's just, um, just I mean, it, it translates very well into English, those words. So what you would think of as discernment in your decisions, discernment in your interactions with people, your insight in having communications with somebody, those are the things that we're talking about. So there's nothing here with this vocabulary that adds to understanding this relationship, okay? Now, as far as implications go, so now we're gonna go into this interpretation application. I want us to take a second and pause and think based upon the, the reason for this letter, why, what does love have to do with it? What do knowledge and what do insight have to do with it? So going back to the purpose of the letter, the occasion, we're talking, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are having some internal strife. There's some issues between the leaders of the church, and then also there's probably some persecution going on. And so he's writing to encourage them, no rebuking, but to encourage them. And so I want us to take a couple minutes, just divide into groups where you are, to talk about why you might think knowledge and insight, what those things have to do with love. What importance does that have when you're loving somebody? And why do you think it's important that Paul is encouraging them specifically in those ways within that context? So just break up like we did last week into, into groups and see what you come up with and we'll come back together and talk about it. Okay, so now I'm actually going to go back and I'm going to read the previous verse, and then we're going to go into the next verse so you can kind of see how they go together, okay? So let me actually get my Bible open. Okay. And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight so that you can decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. Now the goal here, we get this at the end of the verse, the goal is to be sincere and blameless when Christ returns, okay? But the stuff in the middle is a little weird. When I was looking at the Greek, it actually took me a while because the words in Greek don't go with the way that it's translated. And it's because it doesn't translate well. There are a lot of instances in the New Testament, the vast majority translate great, right? It's really not that difficult. But every once in a while, you get something like this where it just doesn't do well in English. So I wanted to break it down because it's going to help see how we get from love and you know, knowledge and insight to this goal. So breaking down this little in between here. So we have this phrase and we have the word you. So again, I'm talking to you. These are the people he's talking to. You to approve. So the goal is to approve something. Okay. And they're supposed to approve the superior thing, the thing that is worth more or the thing that is different. So clearly that's not what we get in our English translation. But if you break it down into the word by word for the Greek, this is what you get. So love, knowledge, and insight leads to you being able to approve the thing that is different, the thing that is superior. And so when I was reading through this, my thought was, okay, well, what is that? And I initially went to this, okay, they're trying to live this Christian life as opposed to 
their fellow Philippians who were not. And so that is what is different. It is the way that we as Christians live our lives as opposed to the world. They are trying to approve the thing that is superior, which would be Christ's way as compared to the world. They're trying to approve the thing that is worth more because Christ's way is worth more than the way that the world presents things. And so breaking this down, we go from love, which we can get from increasing knowledge and increasing insight, to the ability to decipher exactly what is worldly, what is not worldly, and then how to do those things. And the ultimate goal is to be sincere and blameless when Christ returns. Notice it doesn't say perfect, right? Because that's just, that's just not going to happen. And it doesn't even say to be good. It doesn't say anything about um, any kind of standard. It says to be blameless and to be sincere. And the word sincere stood out to me because in this quest for sanctification, and we talked some about this last week, like it's a process. This is not something that happens quickly. And so sincerity in that I think is key. So you can almost say the goal here for increasing knowledge and insight so that you can approve that you can approve these things that are worth more is for the purpose of sincerity. Because I think that that is something like was just brought up in our discussion. There's a lack of that sometimes in churches when we're putting on this face, we're putting on this, you know, I don't have sin, I'm, I'm, I'm together, and it's hard to open up sometimes. But when we focus on that sincerity, I think that might make it easier. Questions? Thoughts? You'd like you want to say something? How we, how we would all define sincere. Sincere. Humble. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. the that's the thing. So we say sin Mm -hmm. to be sincere in a Mm -hmm. Christ-like way. What is that? What is that? So what does it look like to be sincere in a Christ-like way? What? That's why you need discernment. That's why you need discernment. Yes. That's why you need discernment. Yes. I love the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. That's why you need discernment because it is not an easy thing. Because how often? Do we do something and then think back, ooh, my motives weren't great for that. I need to reevaluate. And yet we're living and living and then going, ooh, that was not great. Hopefully to not do it again, right? But we're not always even aware of our motivations for things until after. And so sincerity is, I think, a lofty goal. One that intimidates me. It's a lofty goal to be sincere when Christ returns, to be able to stand in front of him and say, no, I was sincere in my following of you. I was sincere in my love for you and in following the things you asked me to do. So that kind of piece of pure, so pure way to think about this word. And, um, later in um, chapter 2, when Paul uses that same blameless and pure uh, mm-hmm. collection, he contrasts it to crooked and depraved. Mm-hmm. Blameless and pure as a believer should be, and that should stand out and shine differently than the crooked and the praise generation. Mm-hmm. This is, matches everything that Jesus taught us, right? That cares mm-hmm. about our heart behind our actions, not just the things we check often do. So mm-hmm. Google says, sincere is free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. Right? So like you just said, genuine feelings. So how do we be genuine and blameless mm-hmm. when Christ returns? Yeah. Are you blameless if you do the right thing but have a good heart and reason for doing it? <laughs> See, my mind went, yep, my mind went to, for, for the sincerity, where do we get this? Like, where do we get the sincere faith that we have in Christ? If we're just talking about faith, not, act, not actions, where do we get that faith? Where does it come from? 
Christ, straight from Christ. It is a gift to us from Christ through the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And so even in this, even in the fact that we're supposed to increase our love and our knowledge and our insight so that we can do these things, it still all comes straight from Christ. And so ultimately, it still is not about us. It still is not of us, even though we have to strive for it, we have to work for it, we have to trust in him. It still doesn't come from us. It comes straight from him because he's the one who gave us that faith to begin with. Going into verse 11, and the reason I'm not reading all the way through is because verse 11 kind of tacks on to the end. And I have a little chart here on the next slide, so you'll see. It just kind of tacks on to the end. And it's so filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So here's the way that this flows. So we start with Paul prays for this, more love. And how do we do that? Knowledge and discernment. What are we supposed to discern? The right things for the purpose of being pure and being blameless with the outcome, fruits of righteousness. So this is kind of how it flows. And that's actually a question in the uh, book. And I didn't realize that when I did this, but that's actually one of the questions is the flow of his prayer, the flow of how he builds this. So we go from Paul is praying ultimately for them to bear fruit. You know, if we go all the way through, he's ultimately praying for them to bear fruit, to bear this sincere fruit. Does 